CSN International presents to every man an answer, the live apologetics program that equips you to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. If you have a Bible question or a question on the Christian faith, you can call us at 1-888-827-5276. Again, that's 1-888-ASK-CSN. Let's get things started. Here's today's host, Mike Kessler. And hello, everybody. Welcome to To Every Man and Answer. And I am not Mike Kessler. I am Jeff Wickwire filling in for Mike Kessler today. And uh, I'm the pastor of Turning Point Church in Fort Worth, Texas. And it's so good to be with you today on To Every Man and Answer. I love this program. It's got to be the fastest hour in radio. It seems like as soon as we start, we're done. You have so many good questions coming in. And uh, so many folks out there that are astute and call in some some pretty probing uh, questions about uh, deep biblical stuff from time to time. And it's great to answer those questions and uh, help clear out the cobwebs. And we're looking forward to answering some of those questions today for you. Uh, I want to welcome all of you. And uh, with me today is John Randall, pastor of Calvary South OC, the OC standing for Orange County. And I've been a pastor there for, I think, 15 years. Right, John? Good to have you with us. Oh, thank you, Jeff. It's a blessing to be here. And yes, it is 15 years. I think we're going on to year 16. So uh, glad to be here with you today, brother. Time flies when you're having fun, right? Amen. We we pastors live from Wednesday to Sunday, Wednesday to Sunday, and it's amazing how fast the years slip by. And uh, But it's good to be with John. I've never been able to, to host and co-host with John on the show. And uh Going to be a, a great, great program. I want to encourage you, if you've got a Bible question, give us a call at 8888-ASK-CSN, and we will get to your question, and hopefully we'll answer that question to your liking and uh, looking forward to it. So, John, give us a quick update on your church and what you're teaching on, and uh, then we'll get started. Well, thanks so much for asking, uh, Pastor Jeff. Yeah, we are... Um... Right now on Wednesday nights, which is tonight, we have a Bible study here, 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We are traveling through the book of Exodus tonight, looking at a tour of the tabernacle and how that points to the person and work of Jesus Christ. And then on Sunday mornings, currently, we have been traveling through an epistle to the Romans. And boy, that's been an amazing study and uh, finding ourselves in the middle of the 15th chapter, getting close to wrapping it up. And then uh, probably after that, going into a gospel and just talking about the person of Jesus. And of course, we're right now in the midst of the Christmas season. So there'll be a lot of messages uh, moving in that direction as well. Yeah. You know, uh, if you're a Calvary church, you do go through the Bible. Uh, you teach expositorily. And uh, I do that on Wednesday nights. And I'm myself right now, John, in the process of teaching uh a deep dive into understanding how we got our Bible. And it's been a really good series. And of course, we could both talk about what we're uh, teaching on, but we're here to answer questions. So again, if you've got a Bible question, give us a call. We got several lines open right now, 8888-ASK-CSN. And we'll do our best to answer your question. Let's go now to Rose in Vancouver, Washington. Hello, Rose. How can we help? Hello, Rose. Oh, sorry about that. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. So, in the in reading Genesis fourteen, it um, I was uh, reading through that, and, and it reads that Abraham, when he went to go and save Lot from the um, the four kings that uh, the four kings that 
uh, took over Sodom and Gomorrah. And um, anyway, they're traveling, right? And they're in, they're in Zor, in the Zor area. And then they have to travel all the way to Dan. And if I'm remembering correctly, they're not allowed to have horses or anything like that. What was their mode of transportation? Well, uh, I believe that they were on horses. Um, that was the mode of transportation. There, you know, they might have had some chariots, but they were horse driven. So the fastest means of transportation in those days were, were the horses. Uh, and Abraham, let's remember, was on a mission from God. He was, uh, Abraham was the greatest man of God on the planet in those days. And, uh, minus, of course, uh, Melchizedek. And, uh, so it could very well be that God just gave him incredible God speed on those horses. And uh, they overcame the enemy, uh, overtook them, and he saved Lot and the, his family and many of the uh, citizens of Sodom and um, brought all of them back into Sodom. Now, I've always believed, and we'll see what John thinks about this, but I've always believed that uh, Abraham was used of God as a testimony to the king of Sodom before judgment fell. Uh, Abraham did what? Uh, several different kings could not do. They had failed to uh, save the uh, citizens of Sodom. But Abraham put together, I think, 300 uh, soldiers raised in his own house and overtook them. It was a military mini-miracle and uh, brought them back to Sodom. So I believe when he brought them back, it had to be apparent to the king of Sodom that this had been, there was a supernatural touch to this. And I believe that God was using Abraham to testify, to be a testimony for the reality of God in the earth, uh, you know, a few years before judgment fell in such a, a terrible way on Sodom and Gomorrah. But back to your question, Rose, it was horses and uh, very, very strong odds that God gave them a particular anointing of strength and ability to overtake that army and save the citizens. Uh, John, your thoughts? Well, in the previous chapter, Genesis chapter 13, verse 2, we find out that Abraham was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. And no doubt included within that livestock would have been the means of transportation that he needed to be able to travel 200 miles, around 200 miles. Imagine that, 200 miles from the area of Sodom all the way down to Dan with 318 people. And as Jeff mentioned, had that amazing victory and delivered everyone uh, as a result. And uh, But yeah, they, they did have mode of transportation. He was rich in livestock, the Bible says. Yeah. And uh, so does that answer your question, Rose? Yes, it does. I just was under the impression that the Lord said that they were not to obtain any kind of horses. I, I think somewhere I've read that in the Bible. I'm not sure if that that came later in the times of the kings. Um, that was something, for instance, that Solomon should have been under, but wasn't. As a matter of fact, the first little hint that Solomon was drifting from what he knew to be right was he gathered for himself horses from all of the key places in the world where you could get the uh, excellent stallions and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And he began to accumulate horses. That's the first sign that we have that Solomon was drifting, because as he first gathered horses, he then began to gather foreign women who eventually, tragically, played a part in his backsliding away from God 
and uh, committing all kinds of abominable sins and so on and so forth. So, yeah, it was uh, it was something that Solomon was under. It was, uh, I believe, came under or through Moses in part of the Mosaic Covenant. And uh, but Abraham was not under such a thing. So he was he was good. Right. That came later. Deuteronomy 17 mentions that specifically where it says, but you shall not multiply horses for himself, particularly with the kings and so forth. But that was, as you mentioned, Jeff, that was later on after the time of Abraham, before the people were going to go into the promised land. That was the reminder. And I think one of the reasons why is the Lord didn't want them to trust in horsepower. He also didn't That's want right. them to go back to Egypt. He wanted them to trust in the Lord. I think of that passage mm-hmm. that says, some may trust in chariots, some may trust in horses, but we will trust in the name of our God. Exactly. God wanted their faith in him and not in horses or in men. Uh, so, uh, but Solomon messed up and it, he did it very incrementally. And over time, he, he really went down. But anyway, Rose, I hope that that answers your question. Yes, it does. Just really, really quick. I just wanted to mention on uh, verse 21, what was interesting is that um, he, um, Abraham went and, you know, saved the the men and, and, and the goods, right? So, but the king in verse 21, it says the king of Sodom, he, what he wanted was the people and not, and not the goods. In other words, like he was like a picture of Satan, right? And so it, it's just like Satan today, even back then, he wants the people. We can keep the, tr- the trinkets and the goods, but he wants the souls. So I just found that interesting. You yeah, know, he, how- he wanted his, you're right, exactly. He wanted the citizens, he wanted the people because they made up his kingdom. Uh, but of course we know the rest of the story is Abraham wisely would not take it, lest the king of Sodom later were to say that he had made Abraham rich. And Abram knew this is the way of men. They want to take credit for everything. And I'm not going to give them credit for the riches that God has given me. So powerful, powerful, uh, text of scripture and a great questions, Rose. And thank you so much for calling in. And uh, stay on the line. We'll get you a couple of uh, DVDs or books for calling. And uh, you be blessed there in Vancouver. And let's, amen. Let's go now to John in Seaside, Oregon. Hello, John. How can we help? Well, excuse me. Uh, In reading the Bible, I thought that at some point I read where if you know of somebody that is in sin and you don't confront them, that you will share in their punishment. And is that so? And if so, what scripture is it? That was Old Testament where you actually shared in the punishment. I think, for instance, uh, Ezekiel was told that uh, God God was telling him to warn the people. And uh, God told Ezekiel, if you don't warn them, then their blood is going to be on your hands. But if you warn them and they don't repent, their blood is on their own hands. Um, elsewhere in Scripture, uh, God made it very clear that we would not answer for the sins, for instance, of our parents. That uh, it, my dad, you know, went into adultery or went into theft, robbed a bank, whatever, that I would not answer for his sin, that I would not pay for his sin, but that he would pay for his own sin. And God made it clear, every man is uh, responsible for his own life. And that's why I, I shy away from the whole idea of generational curses. I do believe in generational consequences. 
But I don't believe in generational curses because the Bible says Christ became a curse for us on the cross. Well, if he became a curse for us, then how can I as a Christian be cursed? So I don't accept the notion of generational curses, but I do of generational consequences, which really is another question altogether. But John, your thoughts on this? Well, in Matthew chapter 18, and I agree with everything that you said, Pastor Jeff, I think that is accurate and true. But I I also believe um, that in Matthew chapter 18, remember Jesus told us that if a brother sins against us, there is a pattern in which we are to follow. We're to go to them personally, and they don't listen, we bring somebody else. And if they don't listen, we bring another person. And then if we they don't listen, we bring well, we bring the church involved. There is a way to approach someone who is in sin. And then another passage of scripture that speaks to me is Galatians 6, 1, where the apostle Paul says, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual seek to restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself. Now, if I think we do have a responsibility to confront a brother in love. The Bible says that, you know, the kisses of an enemy are deceitful, but faithful are the wounds of a friend. We go to a brother and confront them in love, but I don't, I don't share in their sins by not confronting them. Hopefully I can lead them out of that by, by confronting them in, in a spirit of gentleness and remembering, if not for the grace of God, I, I'd be in the same predicament myself. Exactly. So great, great answer. I, so just putting it up in a nutshell here, uh, John, that when a brother sins and we see it, uh, we should, if we care, if, if we love, of course, our culture is all about, you know, my truth is my truth. Yours is yours. Don't push your truth on me and I won't push mine on you and uh, so on and so forth. And, uh, you know, leave me alone. And if you really love me, you'll accept me just like I am. Well, our culture has developed a very twisted idea of love because love doesn't say I'm going to sit back and watch you self-destruct without saying anything. If I love you, uh, no real love will confront, but it will confront, uh, in humility. It will confront, uh, with gentleness and it will uh, confront with the idea of hopefully restoring you from your sin, as John said, out of Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Uh, so there is that. But we will not answer for the sins of another. Thank God. I'm going to answer for me. You're going to answer for you. But I do believe we need to confront people in love when they are literally self-destructing in front of us. Our children, our spouses, church members, I don't really care who. But if they're wrecking their life, if you love them, you'll say something to them. So does that help, John? It does, yes. Thank you very much. Very good. Well, listen, you stay on the line. We'll get you a couple of DVDs or books for calling in. And uh, thanks for giving us a call, John. Let's go now to, you bet. Let's go to Lauren in Nevada. Hello, Lauren. How can we help? Hi. So, um, I've, hi, I've been, uh, hearing, uh, different answers as too far is when you die, I heard a sermon night before last on CSN on my way home, um, where the preacher was talking about in the Bible, it says, when you die, you are asleep, um, and you are brought back for, um, revelations, um, and then I hear others say that when you die, you are with Christ. You go with him. So I, I'm trying to get a definite answer as to what it what is the truth. 
Yeah, there's all kinds of views out there. If you go to the Catholic Church, uh, there's purgatory. There's no such thing as purgatory. It's never taught in the Bible. Uh, that was something cooked up by the Catholic Church way back in uh, the early Middle Ages, somewhere around there. Uh, it's never been true. There's annihilationism, where people teach that uh, when you die, your soul is completely annihilated and you go neither to heaven or hell, but you're you're just gone. Um, then there are those who teach soul sleep, which is apparently what you've heard, which is the doctrine or the teaching that when you die, your soul just sleeps. They get this from verses uh, where Paul uses the term sleep to describe those who have died in Christ. Um, they're sleeping. Uh, but that's just his way of talking about the death of the body. So soul sleep is you just go to your, your soul is asleep until the return of Christ. And then it's resurrected at the rapture and so on and so forth. But then there is the, the, what I believe is the true teaching, which is found, for instance, in second Corinthians five, verse six, where Paul says, or verse eight, rather, we are confident. Yes. Well, please rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So this teaching is absent from the body, present with the Lord. We go to verses like where Jesus told the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. You know, not millennia down the road when I've returned in the second advent, but today you're going to be with me in paradise. Well, there you go. Jesus taught on the cross that when you die, when the body passes, the soul immediately goes either into the presence of the Lord or into what is called Hades, which is sort of what I like to call a waiting room uh, that's mentioned uh, several places in the Bible, particularly Revelations. It says when the great white throne judgment begins, that Hades and death and hell will spew up the dead that are in them. And uh, so there you see Hades releasing souls that have been within it uh, unto the judgment of God uh, for their sins to be judged. And so I believe the Bible teaches if you're a believer and you die, your soul immediately goes in the presence of the Lord, absent from the body, present with the Lord. If you don't know the Lord, your soul goes into High days, Hades, and there you wait for the judgment, the great white throne judgment, where all sins will be judged. Uh, John, your thoughts? Well, I love the passage that many of us are familiar with, John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. As Jeff said, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And in addition to that, I think of what Jesus said there in John chapter 11 and verse 26. Remember um, where Jesus said, whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Listen, death for the child of God, for the believer is a doorway. You pass through the doorway from here into eternity, into the presence of the Lord and what a day that's going to be. And this was so important to the Apostle Paul that when he wrote to the Philippians, he even said to them, I have a desire to depart from you, which is better to be with the Lord. Mm -hmm. So he, Paul knew and taught it throughout his epistles. 
And no doubt in connection with what Jesus said, that man, when, when God's done with us here, we go to be with him forever. Can't wait for that day. What a reunion that's going to be with all our loved ones, Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we often talk about, well, you know, when I die, I'm going to uh, enter eternal life. But as soon as you're saved, mm. you have entered eternal life. You are eternally alive the moment you're saved. And uh, you're safe, or you're rather you're alive for the very first time in your life. Your spirit man that was dead in trespasses and sins, uh, per verses like Ephesians 2, 1, your, your inner man, your spirit man that was dead in sins is made immediately alive upon receiving Christ when the Holy Spirit enters your soul, uh, to live within you. And right then and there, you receive eternal life. So eternal life, the great blessing, uh, that we all receive for turning to Christ. It's, it's the true riches. And I hope that ho- helps, uh, Lauren. Yes. Thank you. I really appreciate it. You bet. Thank you so much for calling in. Stay on the line. We'll get you a, a book or two, a couple of DVDs for giving us a call. And, uh, you, you be blessed, Lauren, there in Nevada. And let's go now to Tony in Tacoma, Washington. Hello, Tony. How can we help? Good afternoon, guys. Thanks for taking my call. My pleasure. Yeah, hey. How can uh, we help? My question, well, my my question basically is about what I see as conflicts in the Bible, contradictions uh, mm-hmm. about what you're, you, and you were just talking about it yourself, uh, Jeff, about when you're saved, you enter eternal life. Uh my question is, what about people I know in the past that have died that weren't exactly living correctly? Because there's other parts of the Bible that say, you know, fornicators and drunkards and this and that, and there's a whole list of this kind of thing. Those people won't see the kingdom of, uh, of heaven. But I, I can give you examples of friends I know that I used to work uh, at the sound department at a church and when he died, he had separated from his wife, and he was living with another woman. And he got in a car accident, and he died. And I have unanswered questions. Like, did he actually make it to heaven? My own father uh, drank every day of his life. He wasn't a drunk, but he drank every day. It was just a habit. Uh, he loved the Lord, but he died in that sin. And I could, I can think of famous people and private friends mm-hmm. of mine that have died that were Christians I know they believed in the Lord and they loved Jesus, but they just had a particular sin that is on some of these lists. And I find that parts of the Bible talk about such great forgiveness and you're saved and John 3.16, you guys just quoted that. But then there's other parts of the Bible that talk about if you don't live up to these expectations, you won't see heaven. And so then I have this contradiction of are we living in through the law or through grace, which way is it? Okay, I I think first of all, um, I'm not God. I want to be careful here. I'm not I'm not God, and only God knows exactly where someone's heart is when they die, including professing Christians. Uh, you, and you're right; there are many professing Christians who have uh, habits that have never been broken, like say smoking. Let's make it simple: smoking where they're each and every day uh, destroying the temple of God. That is at least hurting it, damaging the temple of God. Uh, so, and then they die. So they die with this habit that they've never been able to kick. Uh, what happens to them? Uh, 
I believe there's two kinds of righteousness, imparted and imputed. Quickly, um, and we're coming up on a break, and if, and if I got, have to go to the break, don't leave us, uh, Tony, because we'll come back to you and, and finish this out. But imputed righteousness is we receive the righteousness of Christ that he puts on us, he imputes to us. We could say he puts it into our spiritual bank account. The minute we're saved, he made him who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So there is imputed righteousness. And when the blood of Jesus covers our life and God looks at our life, he sees no sin. He doesn't see it because it's the imputed righteousness of Christ. And he sees us like he sees Jesus. And that's the power of the blood. Thank God for it. But then there is imparted righteousness. And that is the process of sanctification, the process of growing in our faith, the process of growing up into the fullness of the stature of Christ. We could liken it to a, a, a child who begins to learn to stand up. And uh, sometimes he falls, skins his knee, uh, gets back up again, falls again, skins another knee, gets back up again. He's learning to grow up. He says things, does, does things that he shouldn't do. But do we at ever at any point when our little child skins their knee, do we say, well, you know what? You're no longer my child. You've, you've really messed up, man. You, you fell, uh, you skinned your knee, you keep falling. Uh, you know, I'm just going to take my last name off of you and put you in the street. We don't do that. I think that only God knows when somebody has actually in their hearts walked away. Apostasy. They have walked away. They have, they have renounced him. They have left him. Um, you know, I know people that deal with habits, uh, Tony. Uh, and they constantly ask God to forgive them. They just struggle incredibly hard against that habit, be it porn, smoking, alcoholism, whatever. I've dealt with all kinds of people involved in alcoholism, for instance. They fall off the wagon. The last thing they need, need me to say to them is, well, you know, here you go again. This is like number 13 you have fallen off the wagon. God's done with you. I, I could never say that to them. I would never say that to them. Uh, we're coming up on the break. Tony, don't go away. Because I want to know John's thoughts on this as well. So don't go anywhere, folks. We'll be right back with more of To Every Man an Answer. Stay with us. Can you imagine getting your college degree and graduating debt-free? Sound crazy? Here's great news. Calvary Chapel University is offering a 25% tuition scholarship on your entire degree program. And with this unique scholarship, you have a realistic way to graduate debt-free. Calvary Chapel University is one of the most affordable Christian universities in the United States, and it's fully accredited and 100% online, so you can study whenever and wherever you want. 
Calvary Chapel University offers bachelor's degrees and master's in biblical studies with an emphasis in biblical counseling, Christian education, and more. And with solid teachers like Skip Heitzig and David Guzik involved, you can be sure you're getting sound doctrine. This scholarship offer is available for a limited time. Find out more at calvarychapeluniversity.edu. That's calvarychapeluniversity.edu. Apply today. Wondering what to do with your extra car or truck? Donating your present vehicle to CSN Radio is convenient, easy, and may qualify you for a tax deduction. Best of all, your donation of a car truck will make a big difference in supporting CSN Radio. Why not donate your extra vehicle today? All you need to do is complete a simple online donation form. Or call 1-800-357-4226 and we'll take care of the rest. We'll pick up your vehicle, arrange to have your donation towed, and provide you with a tax deduction receipt, all at no charge to you. Call 1-800-357-4226 or go online at csnradio.com and click on the car donation button. Thanks. For your support. And hello, everybody. Welcome back to To Every Man and Answer. I'm Jeff Wickwire, pastor of Turning Point Church in Fort Worth, Texas. I'm sitting in today for Mike Kessler, and with me is John Randall, pastor of Calvary South, Orange County. And on the phone with us is Tony, who was with us right before the break. And Tony had wanted to know, uh, you know, you hear about God's forgiveness and uh, receiving eternal life when you receive Christ. But what if somebody who was a professing Christian uh, died, and when they died, they had been caught up in some bad habit or were in some kind of a sin? And uh, how do you know whether or not they went to heaven or did they lose their salvation and so on and so forth? And I was uh, simply responding. My own answer to that is, I do believe strongly in the imputed righteousness of Christ. That's what uh, Christianity is all about. You know, our righteousness is to the Lord as filthy rags. If we live to be 10 million, we could never earn our way into heaven. We could never uh, jump through all the hoops necessary to gain God's righteousness. Uh, no way. So the blood of Christ covers us. Now, when we're born again and the Holy Spirit enters our life, do, are we perfect right then and there? Or do we, are, you know, we, we're growing in the faith. We're growing spiritually. We grow from infanthood where we're to earnestly crave or desire the sincere milk of the word. And then we we grow into the fullness of the stature of Christ and uh, bear fruit to his glory. In the process of growing spiritually, all of us fail God, make mistakes. Uh, we may have some habit that is extremely hard for us to shake. Um, I've dealt with many people who have dealt with uh, and struggled in habits that um, over and over again, they fell. They just had a real hard time getting over it alcoholics, drug addicts. I've dealt with all of them. And uh, I've seen 
Many of them fall off the wagon over and over again. It breaks their heart. They feel condemned. They feel like God doesn't want to have anything to do with them anymore. I, for one, cannot look at that person and say, well, you know, this is your 13th fall. I think God's done with you. I can't do that. I could never do that. I have to encourage them that God will forgive them. Now, if they died struggling with that sin, would they go to heaven? I believe they would. Because the imputed righteousness of Christ's blood is on them. Um, if they were struggling against that sin, if by faith they were trying to overcome it, and they just never got the total victory, do I believe that God just ixnayed them and sent them to hell? No. That's my thoughts on it. I think we have to be real careful in um, pronouncing uh, over somebody that, well, they've lost their salvation. If they walk away from Christ, denounce him, renounce him, apostatize, go off and say, I want nothing to do, I don't believe anymore. Well, that's another story. John, your thoughts. Well, uh, the Bible does tell us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, that we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And I won't be on that judgment seat calling the shots Jesus will. I'm going to stand before him. Every believer is going to stand before Jesus Christ. It's it's the points that you make are so valid. And I think it's also important. There's this there's this other side to it, Jeff, sometimes that you see within the church where someone they they let's say they came forward and yet they went right back into what they were always doing. There's a difference between struggling with sin and seeking to overcome it as opposed to living in sin and thinking everything is fine. You know, Paul wrote to the church in Rome and Mm -hmm. and the Romans, and he said, listen, shall we sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. There's this, you know, this this difference between backsliding. Were, Were they really saved to begin with? I don't know. Ultimately, the Lord sorts it out. What do I do in the midst of that? Well, for example, if I see somebody that's walking away from the Lord, we talked about it earlier in the program, I'm going to go to them. I don't want them to feel comfortable in that position. They say, well, hey, I'm saved. Don't judge me, man. Hey, wait a second. The Bible says that there's fruit that comes from your life. You don't want to go that way. You don't want to go that direction. That's going to destroy you. I want them to come back and walk with the Lord. I don't want to feel comfortable in that place. The person that's struggling with sin feels condemned. I, I just can't overcome. Hey, listen, brother, God's got his hand on you. You're, mm-hmm. you're a sheep in his hand. Nobody can snatch mm-hmm. you out. Let's let's encourage you. So, you know, there's different ways of looking at it, depending on who you're dealing with and what the circumstances are, Jeff. Yeah, it's really very relative to the person. Uh, I believe the church is plagued in the 21st century and particularly Western culture with false salvations. Mm. People, oh yeah, yeah, I believe in Jesus. You, you bet. But then you look at their lifestyle and they're not even trying to live according to the word of God. So you have to say, wait a minute. Uh, right. If you're saved, it's going to show. There's going to be evidences. And if you're struggling against a sin and everybody does, everybody struggles against something, uh, are, are you struggling or are you just giving into it without conviction at all? And you're, you're, you're perfectly good with it. And, you know, we see a lot of people these days, for instance, uh, you know, you're moving in with somebody who's, who they're not married to right. living in fornication. And there's, there's absolutely no conviction, you know, come to the church, lift your hands, praise the Lord, kumbaya. But you look at their life. And there's no conviction at all about living in the sin they're living in. They're hitting the bars, getting drunk, coming to church on Sunday. 
so you're right, John. I think there's something to be said. There's a lot to be said, actually, about false salvation, false conversion. Just because you went to an altar, filled out a card, you know, repeated a prayer with a preacher, uh, there's going to be evidence afterward if that was genuine. And you made the point, Jeff, I think it was so good that that's a process. You know, we, we're growing. You start out as a baby in the Lord and then you grow and God is patient with the growth process and he's committed to it. And he's not there, you know, when we fall, just keeping us down. He He wants us to grow. But but there is a difference when when someone says, you know, because here's the, the truth of the matter is what I believe affects the way that I live. If I believe that, mm -hmm. it's like going to the altar to be married to your wife and making vows of of commitment, of love and faithfulness, and then leaving that altar and then going and finding somebody else. Were you really married? Do you understand what this meant when you put the ring on your finger? Yeah. And those things? Yeah. You, you kind of missed it. And so if there are people out there kind of just, well, I go to, I believe in God. Hey, listen, the Bible says that even the demons believe and they tremble at the name of Jesus. So it, it, it's a faith that works not working to earn salvation no it's a byproduct of being saved there's yeah. fruit that follows yeah just like paul and titus at least four times talks about the necessity uh, for believers to be involved in good works that that good works don't save you but good works testify that you are saved that's right uh so so the answer to your question tony is kind of twofold um number one i'm not god i don't know if somebody who dies, a professing Christian dies, you know, for all we know, they were repenting for the sin they were caught up in. You know, they felt terrible about it. They were just unable to, um, I don't know, break the chains before they died. Uh, I don't want to judge them that way. The flip side is if somebody is living in sin and there's no conviction, you don't sense them struggling against it. They're perfectly fine living like the world and uh, can do things the scripture completely uh, teaches against, then I question their salvation. So I hope that helps, Tony. Yeah, uh, somewhat, I believe. Yeah, I still got questions, but that's okay. You guys have given us a lot of time and a lot of thought. I appreciate it. You bet. And uh, yeah, just uh, your friend that died. You know, I think sometimes in the mercy of God, this may sound extreme, but to save our soul, God will allow us to go home, perhaps even prematurely, if we're in some, if we're truly His child, and we're not repenting of sin, and we're headed towards some real destruction, God will allow us to go home early, and I think Scripture will uh, support that. So I don't know, but I, I do believe that there are a couple of answers to your question, and I hope that at least gives you some food for thought. Yep, yep. And that is exactly my thoughts, too, with my friend that passed away. I, we kind of wonder if maybe God just decided to take him home. So, yeah, I, I'm with you on yeah. that. All right. Well, Tony, thank you for calling in. And uh, stay on the line. We'll get you a couple of DVDs for your call. And you be blessed. And uh, let's go now to Brad in Gilbert, Arizona. Hello, Brad. How can we help? Oh, hi. How are you, pastors? I just want to thank you for everything you guys do. You are so blessed and such a blessing for me to be able to listen to you guys every day. Appreciate it. Thank you. My question you. is, I've got a friend of mine that the church that they belong to, uh, they don't believe in the rapture. What are your thoughts on that? Well, that's fine. If you don't believe in the rapture, it's not a deal breaker as far as salvation. That's for sure. And, uh, 
you know, when they're being caught up, then those of us going up next to them can look at them and say, I told you so. <laughs> little cheap joke. But anyway, <laughs> um, it's not, it has nothing to do with your salvation. There are good people who don't believe in the rapture. They just believe that in the second advent, that the two events are actually one. And, um, you know, I've talked to them. I know them. I'll, you know, it has nothing to do with the uh, certainty of their salvation, like I've already said. And, and uh, if they don't uh, come to that conclusion, then, um, that's, that's, that's their conclusion. John, your thoughts. Well, the Bible does tell us, and I think there's plenty of biblical proof. And I would say to the person that doesn't believe in the rapture, why don't you believe in it? And what do you think about these scriptures in their context? And maybe you could share with me your thoughts. Have a dialogue. For example, First Thessalonians chapter 4, where Paul makes it clear, I don't want you to be ignorant. Jeff, there are some people that are ignorant. Even there yeah. in uh, Thessalonica, he said, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you have sorrow, uh, like those who have no hope. And he goes on to describe that there's coming a day when the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and the dead in Christ are going to rise first, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up together, violently snatched away by the Lord to mm-hmm. meet him in the air. And thus we mm-hmm. will always be with the Lord, comfort one another with these words. Another passage would be First Corinthians in chapter 15, where again, the Apostle Paul talks about, brothers, I tell you a mystery. We're not all going to sleep. We will be changed in a moment, the twinkling of an eye. There, There is this emphasis on the rapture of the church being taken away. And here's the thing. Listen, folks, if you study through the scriptures, you will find that the second coming and the rapture are two distinctly separate events from one another. In the rapture of the church, not every eye sees him, only those that are caught up to be with the Lord. The rapture, the imminence of the rapture, it can happen at any moment, at any time. There's nothing left on the prophetic calendar of God for it to take place. It could happen well before this program's over. That would be amazing. But let me also add, When it comes to the second coming of Jesus Christ, we know when it's going to happen because the Bible tells us it's at the end of the tribulation period. And in that uh, second coming, Jesus comes back and we come with him. And it says, Jeff, every eye will see him Mm -hmm. in the rapture. We're caught up in the clouds. In the second coming, we come back on the clouds. How do you explain two separate, distinct events from one another? Friends, listen, the rapture is a powerful motivation to live for the glory of God. Listen, he could come at any time, and we want to be ready, looking for it, as Titus tells us. Exactly. And if you want to, for instance, uh, Brad, Google the differences between the rapture and the second coming. Just Google it. And there's about 10 distinct differences where it's very hard to join the two. Of course, the people that believe it's it's one and the same, uh, they believe that we're caught up. We meet the Lord in the air and come right back down for the Lord to stop the uh, terrible war of Armageddon and establish the millennial kingdom. So that's the way they view it. But if you uh, just Google the differences, it's, it's very easy to find. There's all kinds of sources that'll break it down and give you the one, two, three differences. There's again, I think there's like 10 of them and uh, just distinct differences between the two events where it, you can't co-mingle them. You, 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 you can't. So I hope that helps Brad. And again, they're not lost. It's not like they're going to lose their salvation. Uh, apparently they haven't been taught in a convincing way, the reality of the rapture. And uh, maybe you can look those things up and share the differences with them and, and change their mind. I'm going to try. Hey, thanks <laughs> a lot, you guys. I really appreciate it. You bet. Thanks for calling in, Brad. Stay on the line. We'll give you a couple of DVDs or books for giving us a call, and you be blessed. And let's go now to 
Wayne in Washington. Hello, Wayne. How can we help today? Hey, guys. How are you doing? And thanks for everything you do to build the kingdom of God. I appreciate it. Thank you. Hey. What, what is, how can we help? So so my question is, you were talking about Abraham and the gold and the silver and everything and, and all that. And I've got a couple retirement accounts from a previous uh, employer and stuff. I don't want to be like having gold and silver as an idol kind of a thing, but I want to use, I want to invest wisely. And I'm wondering biblically what is wise and what isn't storing up some precious metals and that type of thing, uh, transferring a 401k into precious metals kind of a thing and stuff like that. Is that godly? Is that like being doubt that God's going to take care of you? That kind of thing. Just looking for no, your thoughts and your feedback. Right. Great question. I, I, there's no greater financial book than the Bible. The Bible is the greatest book on finances you'll find in the world. And, you know, believe it or not, Jesus taught wise investment. You go to the parable of the talents, and I know that's kind of dealing with a different thing in the, in the sense that uh, I believe Jesus is actually talking in the parable of the talents about uh dealing wisely with the gifts that he's given you and investing them in the kingdom of God. However, you had three men that received three different levels of trust from the master. And when he returned, he wanted to know from each of them how well they had invested. And the one that had received five talents was able to say, I've invested it and I got five more. Here's what I've invested, Lord. The one that had received two talents did the same thing. The one that had received the one talent said, well, Lord, you know, I was afraid of you. I didn't trust you. I knew that you were kind of a harsh guy. So I buried what you gave me. Here is what you gave me without any return. And Jesus called him evil, called him wicked. And he received the uh, heavy rebuke from God for not investing wisely. Now, again, I believe that's talking about spiritual uh, trust from God. Um, but our Lord was an investor. He believed that what God gives you, you should be wise with it. You should be smart with it. All through the book of Proverbs and uh, elsewhere in the Old and New Testaments, we find God honoring and God teaching and God encouraging wise investment. Now, the Bible is also very clear. It should never be where you put your trust, ultimately. We're not to uh, trust in gold and silver to deliver us, for instance, in times of judgment. Uh, our ultimate deliverance and salvation comes from the Lord. But at the same token, we're to be smart with what God gives us, invest it wisely. And so I don't believe there's anything wrong with what you're doing, Wayne, as long as you're not looking to it as your ultimate uh, security, because for sure our security is in the Lord and not gold, silver, not man, as we said earlier, not horses, not material things at all. Your thoughts? Well, in Matthew chapter 6, in verse 19 through 21, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, gave his disciples some important insight as it related to investing wisely. And he said, do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, 
where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Whatever we're investing in. And I, as Jeff said, I think it's important to invest in the things that are going to last forever. Be a good steward of what God's entrusted to you. God's given you wisdom. He's entrusted to you a certain amount of finances. There's nothing wrong with being wise with those. But also I would encourage you, hey, invest in the kingdom of God so that you will have a return that no one can touch. It's going to be reserved for you there in heaven. Imagine all the things that you invest in for the kingdom of God, and then you see the reward of that. Paul encouraged the churches that he pastored. Hey, listen, I'm not seeking the, you know, the the money from you. I'm seeking the fruit to your account as you invest wisely in the things that, well, really matter and last forever. So be a good steward. Yeah, I agree. And the flip side of this is the Bible is very clear that we're to not squander the mm-hmm. blessings of God. We're not to, you know, what God gives us in, the, in a material sense, don't squander it, right. don't waste it. Um, you know, the Bible talks about, you know, uh, wine bibbers and those that live drunken, profligate lives, uh, waste everything that God has given them. So the flip side is don't waste it, don't squander it, don't be stupid with it. But as, as John said as well, we're to invest, uh, spiritually. Jesus said to the rich man in his parable, you should have been rich toward God. Now he had been very good with money. I mean, he had all the money he could, uh, he didn't even know where to put it all, but he had not for one moment in his life been rich toward God. So he entered eternity bankrupt. So be smart, Wayne, with what you have. And always, always primarily invest in the kingdom. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I get that. And 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 the the parable, or I mean, this part about the um, Sermon on the Mount, where it's like store up your treasure in heaven, not on earth, where moth and rust. That that's that's the part where I struggle a bit with it. It's like, okay, so you know, I've got this four hundred one k kind of a thing, and it's like, I don't think the economy is going in a good direction. I want to be wise with it. Should I be doing something different and all that? But then I don't want to be storing up treasures on earth, you know. But, you know, I mean, my whatever's mine is his, and that's the way I kind of yeah. have to look at it. Mm, that's so but, good. I think the fact yeah. that you're even concerned about it says a lot about you and that your mindset and how you're – is in the right place. Would you agree, Jeff? Yeah, I do. And, and I've got some investments. I mean, I've got a 401K. Now, my security is not in that. And I'm very, hey, listen, I, I've been through times when uh, our economy took a dip and I, a lot of what was in that 401k disappeared. And I was uh, always reminded of the verses that talk about riches make themselves wings <laughs> and fly away. And sure, they, they certainly do. Right. So I think when you have investments, you have to have a bedrock belief that if something happened to the economy and overnight I lost everything, I'm still going to be okay because Jehovah Jireh, my provider, is still going to provide for me. So again, I don't think there's anything wrong with investing material things, trying to be wise with your money, as long as your security is not in that totally, but it's in the sovereignty of God, the provision of God, and that he's going to take care of you no matter what happens in the economy. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks, guys. That that really helps because I've been really struggling with that, you know, especially the that that Sermon on the Mount part. So that really gives me some clarity, and I appreciate it. Thank you guys for what you do. And I- All right, Wayne. Thank you. God bless. Thanks for calling in from Washington. 
Let's go now to Jenny in Arizona. Hello, Jenny. How can we help? Hi, pastors. I am looking at Romans chapter 2, um, verses 12 through 16 or so, but specifically verse 14, where the word instinctively is used. And I would just like for you to clarify that because I kind of have some thinking and I need it cleared. And I would appreciate that. Yeah, I think verse 14, let me read it for our listeners. It says, for when Gentiles, if you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law. Now that's talking about the Ten Commandments, the Mosaic Law is what Paul is talking about here. By nature, they do the things that are in the law. These, although although not having the law, are a law to themselves. That's talking about the conscience that God has given to every person. Now, uh, Paul is going to deal in, in Romans chapter 1 and 2 with the entire uh, world's guilt towards God for sin. He deals in chapter 1 uh, with the Gentile world and, and how God has given us uh, two, two things that we will be judged by. That is the testimony of nature and the testimony of our conscience that uh, God has clearly revealed by what he has created that he exists. And so we are without excuse. When we look at nature and say, well, there's no God. I I have this incredible creation all around me, but I'm still going to go with there's no God. All right? We're without excuse. We will be judged for rejecting the testimony of God's creation. But also, the second uh, testifier of God is our conscience. God has put within all of us a sense of right and wrong, a, a sense of, now it's not perfect. It's not like you're reading the Ten Commandments because man's conscience being fallen is flawed. Yet, we still know that theft is wrong, adultery is wrong, murder is wrong. Many of the commandments we instinctively know are wrong because God has put that in us. And so he's talking about their the conscience that God has given to Gentiles, even though we never hear. You know, I was saved in juvenile home when I was 16 years old. Um, and I had never been raised in Christianity. I had never been taught the Bible. I knew nothing about the Bible. I was raised in a totally secular home, uh, raised on evolution, the whole bit. But I knew theft was wrong. I knew murder was wrong. I knew that things were wrong. And so I would experience guilt. Guilt is from God until your conscience becomes completely seared and you can no longer know right from wrong, which I, where I believe a, a lot of our culture is right now. So that's what it's talking about. Your thoughts, John? Well, I think in this context here, you're going to find out uh, that the whole point is that God is talking about being justified by faith. He is driving home a point. Mm -hmm. So as you look at the Jews, they thought they could be justified by the law, but either Jew or Gentile, they could only be justified by faith in Christ. And there's a lot more to this particular question, uh, but we're coming up to the end. We're out of time. (laughs) Uh, Thank you, everybody, for listening. That's uh, We're out of time. Fastest hour on radio. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time on To Every Man and Answer. Have a blessed day. The rest of you, call back tomorrow. We'll try to get right to you. God bless. 
To find out more about this ministry or to receive a copy of today's program, please call 1-800-357-4226 or write us to Every Man and Answer, P.O. Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho, 83303. That toll-free number is 1-800-357-4226. Subscribe to the free podcast on iTunes by searching for To Every Man and Answer in the iTunes store or visit us online at csnradio.com slash T-E-M-A. To Every Man and Answer is a production of CSN International, the Christian Satellite Network. The opinions expressed by our guests may or may not be those of CSN International or of this station. 